Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another magnificent episode of Inspiration Point. I am Andrew. And I am Adam. And we are joined tonight by a very special guest, hopefully the first of a handful. Uh, He is one of the uh, cast members and characters on the Twice Bitten podcast. And he plays Metreon the Magnificent. We have Jack H. with us tonight. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, it's good to be here. Oh, man. I, I, am, I am stoked to have you here. Um, Adam is getting introduced to you and uh, probably some talk about uh, Twice Bitten uh, Pretty, yeah, pretty uh, fresh. I've heard a little bit, but since I'm in Andrew's Strahd campaign, I have refrained. So it'll be interesting once that comes to an end. I, I do plan on checking out Twice Bitten and comparing it uh, to, to, to Andrew's yeah, interpretation. Yeah, don't compare it. You know, always, always take things with your own experience. Uh, I think what we're doing is very unique to us. I think a lot of, uh, a lot of DMs, uh, take liberties that fit their table. Um, and this was mm. sort of an experiment, uh, more than anything, to see uh, how far we could push something just as as much as it's presented. So, uh, but I'm sure you're having a great. If you're having a great time, that's all that matters. Oh, yeah, of I, course. I, I meant a comparison of styles more than a uh, competition. Certainly not mm. that. Good. good. Um, yeah, because I would lose hardcore. Oh, <laughs> like Dragna sets a high bar, man. Is that right? Oh, yeah, he's wow. a he's a, I mean, he's a scholar in this. So, you know, he he's written uh, supplements, essays. Uh, he's done months and months and months of research. I think he's run the game maybe three or four times. This is maybe his third oh, or fourth wow. time. So like cool. this was like he knows everything by the back of its hand. So he's able to really elaborate on things and really uh, flesh things out in a way that feels substantial and very studied. I so, uh, I wonder if like when they came out with Van Richten's, uh, you know, did he find anything interesting in there? He was like, yeah, I already know all this. Well, funny enough, because um, we we've been talking about them amongst ourselves recently. Um, but there is he just put up a review. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I was going to mention. He put a, he's uh, yeah. got a review coming up, uh, or if he might have already put it up, I don't I'm not sure. Um, but there are you know there are different definite things that uh, we probably won't use for this campaign just because uh, yes. the whole premise is that we're just doing everything from the book. Um, but uh, for future campaigns and stuff like that, there's definitely going to be some of that utilized. It's oh, a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing book. I, uh, I gave his, his article, uh, a read through. Um, I backed his Patreon and uh, which incidentally is uh patreon.com slash Dragna Carta. So D R A G N A C A R T A. So definitely check that out. Beware of Curse of Strahd spoilers. Like, don't go there if you don't want to know stuff about Curse of Strahd. But um, as part of uh, some of the rewards that he gives, he uh, gives some uh, early previews to his uh his patrons so i was given a look over the article and um it's really excellent i mean he points out so many very um very fair observations like 
I saw one of the ones that he mentioned as kind of his um, his main through line with the whole thing is when it comes to being a repository of straight up Ravenloft lore. I think he said it was a bit lackluster, but in terms of being a useful DM resource from a general perspective, it's almost invaluable. Like the stuff that's crammed into this book, as far as actual tools and advice for how to handle some certain things that are typically pretty tricky, um, the content that's there is really exceptional. If I could just jump in real quick with a, a question for our guest, like, sure, just assuming that that anyone who's listening to the show, like, if someone out there doesn't know what the Curse of Strahd is, as a D and D module, as an adventure, I wonder if you would give your perspective and and explain what is Curse of Strahd. Mm. Uh, yeah, so uh, the elevator pitch I'd probably give would be something along the lines of, uh, uh, it is a it is a story, a module, uh, a campaign that centers around a horrible vampire overlord, and you are uh, taken to his land, and you must find out how to escape. And uh, that seems to be the premise of most games. Uh, most DMs who <laughs> run it anyway. Um, but yeah, uh, the longer version is uh, that it's a uh, an updated uh, take on uh, old Ravenloft lore. Um, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that echoes back to a lot of the old lore, but also uh, kind of gets updated uh, for the fifth, fifth edition. Um, yeah, mm. it's uh, if you like uh, vampires, uh, werewolves, witches, uh, you know, gothic horror, um, beating up vampires. Uh, it's all <laughs> it's all pretty good. Being beaten up by vampires, yeah, being fed on by vampires. You know, oh, oh um, sure. <laughs> I won't I won't reveal any more. Uh, but I was going to have a, a bad joke about some uh, some things, but. Um, mm. But I don't know how far along you all are, so I, I will refrain. What are some of the key tonal differences between the Curse of Strahd, Ravenloft, and all that versus, let's say, Forgotten Realms, like the core, let's say, D&D, like in terms of like tenor? Yeah, so, it was, so it's interesting. Um, you know, every DM is going to run uh, their game the way that suits them best and their table best. Um, but as written... Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do twice bit in the way that we're doing it is to really explore the themes, how we believe they were meant to be presented. Um, but as presented, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the book is very much about, um, for, it's obviously a lot about Gothic horror, but it's also about survival horror. It's about um, mm. rising to the occasion, uh, surviving, being in this land, you know, stranger in a strange land kind of thing where you are isolated from friends and family and from a complete understanding of anything that, that, that you know is real. And so you're at the mercy of this, this terrible vampire overlord. And it, it, it's very different because it's presented in this way of, uh, you know, you, you, you will not get a lot of, uh, at least as rules is written, you will not have access to the usual things that you have access to in a, maybe a more traditional campaign. Like, what are some examples, like, in, in terms of, like, just like items, yeah, just magic items, even, even wealth itself, you know, uh, uh, commerce, mm. you know, it's, uh, it's definitely meant to tap into things like resource management, which is a good, which is a very big part of, uh, of horror, especially in, like, a video game or RPG setting. Um, so it's about uh, creating that tension through. Uh, it, 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 so I, I'd say also, it for, depending on how you run it, it forces players to... Uh, react in a way that 
traditionally you may not react. Uh, and by that, I mean, mm. traditionally, uh, 5e and most, uh, like most RPGs of this nature, uh, are centered around the idea of being able to beat something. Uh, yeah. and as long as you hit it hard enough, uh, it will fall down. Um, whereas the way things are set up with Curse of Strahd, that is, you will eventually be able to hit those things and knock them down. But when you first encounter them, you may not knock them down. They may knock you down and do things, horrible things to you uh, in the process. So you have to play a little bit smarter. You have to think about things in a way that, um, that centers on survival as opposed to uh, being a, you know, this heroic figure. Mm. Wow, that's, that's very, fairly bleak. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are some moments of levity in the uh, in the module is written, but you know, it's uh, it it can get very dark. Uh, I mean, sure, Twice Bitten is very much an example of how oppressive the the environment can be, and you know, that certainly isn't for everybody. But uh, and there's certainly ways that you can lighten things up and and add a sort of uh, levity to things. But uh, but as presented, yeah, it's pretty pretty intense. Yeah, you. You guys definitely um, you get really, really deep. I mean, I I was thinking about saving uh, saving this question for later, but um, I think it fits nicely here. Uh, one of the one of the kind of core conceits of the Twice Bitten podcast also is that each and every one of you, Dragna Carta, obviously, but also as well as yourself, your fellow cast members, uh, Serena, Kaya, uh, Linus, and Twy, are all experienced Curse of Strahd GMs. You guys have run the campaign before in some way, shape, or form. So what I found very interesting, and still find very interesting because I am currently on episode 21 of now, I think the most recent one you guys put out was 33. And I mean, these are long episodes. So <laughs> the amount of content you guys are putting out is really exceptional, especially considering it's a weekly thing. But how do you approach Twice Bitten from a player perspective as someone who knows everything that's in the that's in the module. You have an at least an, a general idea of what's coming. You may not know how Dragna is going to approach or handle a certain thing in the module, maybe the way you did, but you know that thing is likely coming and going to be addressed in some way. How do you play a character like Metreon who? When you guys started, you were all told you are not adventurers. Not really. Yeah. You are normal people who are vulnerable and who have quite a lot of flaws and issues. And when you guys, when I'm listening to you guys play, you guys do fear and vulnerability and character weakness so well. And I, I, I hope that that comes off as the compliment that it is meant no, to no, be. No, no, it totally does. Um, I mean, there's a there's a few answers I can give to to what you've just said. Um, but kind of give just, them all. Yeah, just starting with <laughs> the the uh, so just a little bit about my own history. Um, sure. Aside from just being a horror fan uh, and a person who plays TTRPGs, um, I enjoy playing 
horror TTRPGs. Uh, so mm. um, in my own... Call of Cthulhu, that sort of stuff? Uh, I have not gotten a chance to run Call of Cthulhu or play it. Uh, I would love mm. to. Uh, I've got some ideas, uh, but I, I need to get a, a, a hold of the system first and uh, you sure. know, people to play it for. Um, right. But no, uh, so uh, the current group that I have, Black Project Gaming, uh, we started about four years ago with a homebrew of mine uh, that was it's ended up being very grim uh, um, and was very much centered around like psychological horror. Um, oh, a homebrew system? Uh, no, homebrew game, just a campaign. It was five oh, A. Okay. I got yeah, five A. Gotcha. Um, but it was definitely it's one of those things where you know, like I was saying earlier, with five E and a lot of other similar uh, systems, you have to approach things in a more heroic fashion, uh, or you're at least right. kind of conditioned to. Uh, whereas what I wanted to push with that was to see how much I could push the players to uh, to react in a way that was about preservation, but also in a way that uh, felt very authentic to what was happening. Uh, and I've, mm. I've got some amazing players, so they took what I was doing and ran with it. Um, and so coming off of that kind of grim, dark uh, campaign uh, that's actually going to be ending soon, uh, which is weird, four years. Um, Another player decided to run another system called Delta Green. Yeah. I've 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 heard the name before. That's because uh, Ren is uh, is in that group for a podcast. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, I'd say it's even, it's an even more bleak version of Call of Cthulhu. Uh, <laughs> whereas Call of sorry Call of Cthulhu has a lot of like uh, puzzles that you can kind of solve, and you know there's. Uh, mm. you know, there's a means of kind of getting over the horror. Uh, the conceit of Delta Green is that, especially for playing in a long form campaign, which is what we've been doing, is is you're basically just accruing uh, a loss of sanity, and so by the end oh, of it, boy. you are very far from where you started, and uh, you kind of have to take on uh, the different uh, symptoms or uh, side effects of these encounters. Uh, and so we finished, uh, we finished our first run through, which was the night of the opera. Um, we did a bunch of scenarios from that. Um, and that was pretty, uh, taxing Ooh. for all of us. Uh, and so I, I mentioned all this to say that, uh, when I approached, uh, coming to twice bitten and making a character, uh, one of the reasons I was invested in, uh, and interested in coming on board was because, uh, the conversation was really about, um, not being traditional heroes, reacting to the world in, mm. in authentic ways. Um, so right. when I made Metreon, I, one of the, one of the things that Dragna had responded to positively was, uh, he liked that I made someone who was very openly a coward, someone who, uh, reacted in a very, uh, fight or flight kind of way. And a lot of that, yeah. a lot of that came from, uh, playing in other systems and other games and other campaigns that, you know, I had time mm. to kind of refine, uh, refine those kind of reactions. It is very refined. I, uh, I even had um written down here that uh you've done an excellent job of making him feel very flawed and mortal i mean he deals with vice and alcoholism and you know even some possibly slightly lecherous tendencies and things like that and um you know he can you definitely get the sense that at least at least at the beginning uh, he's, he's a very selfish person and his sense of self-preservation is incredibly strong, but he quickly becomes aware of 
he becomes painfully aware of his own mortality and the uh the risky position that he's not only found himself in but that he can't seem to get himself out of just no matter what he does and it's just pushing him a little further and a little further and a little further and it's been fascinating for me to listen to because typically in D&D kind of like you guys are saying too and a lot of people are familiar with the player the natural player instinct is to be the brave hero is to not be phased by you know all this horrible stuff and you know to be able to power fantasy yeah you know, like that's exactly stare it. a demon in the face right yeah it's that whole power fantasy thing of like well you've given us this big giant sword you've given us these ability to throw yeah. fireballs at people we're going to use them and you know in most yeah. campaigns that's fine you're supposed to use them that's how you defeat right. the enemy but in this you're introduced to a world that you are outclassed by you're outnumbered by you're outgunned by uh, and so it's about mm. that slow buildup of trying to find that uh, either that courage or that sense of self-preservation to the point where you uh, rise to the occasion and you figure out a way to get out of it. That's definitely you- something I've had a difficult time with as a player in, in Curse of Strahd because it is new for me. Um, and I want to get better at that. I want to mm. try to show more of that fear vulnerability. Like I've done a lot of let's say other emotions, but I guess what I'm asking is how do you open yourself up to letting go of the power fantasy and allowing yourself to be afraid? I I joke uh, sometimes that twice bitten has become sort of a weird uh, therapy in a way (laughs) Um, (laughs) because it does allow me to be a lot more vulnerable than I have to, than I can be in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And so I, I, my advice to anyone who wants to explore that is is a you have to trust yourself to be able to go to go to that place uh, safely mm. because you know not everyone can go to that place in a safe way. Um, I uh, you know I, I'm somewhat of a tough cookie sometimes, and so uh, mm. I do have uh, experiences in my life that I'm able to draw on, but uh, I always know when to pull it back. And uh, the other mm. thing too is you know it's just reacting naturally. So you know say your character encounters. I'll just use an example of my character. Um, Mm. He was faced with possibly dying to a bunch of giant dire wolves. And that's something Adam has no experience. (laughs) And it was his fault. And it was Metreon's fault in a way. Uh, And Mm. it's, it's kind of sick to say that because that's part of what curse of Strahd is. It's about that gaslighting. It's about that abuse. It's like Mm -hmm. um, not to, not to go on too much of a tangent, but um, the way, especially that drag to place him, uh, which I think is brilliant and beautiful, but also very terrifying, um, is that it makes you almost think that, well, I did this, I, I made him mad. I I provoked mm. this, so it's my fault. And so that was kind of where I went to with uh, with that, you know, with that uh, scene of, of Metron running through the forest trying to get away from these wolves. He know that he provoked it, but he doesn't understand that he didn't deserve it um, mm. and that he's actually being victimized in that moment. And a lot of that is clouded by just this need to survive and so he's you know he's running through the forest he's doing his best to hide um you know he's crawling through mud and and, you know riverbanks and all this stuff um and so in in my head i go well how would i react to that if i was this person um or even if i was just myself uh i think both metreon and i would be scared uh you know poopless if we were being chased (laughs) by uh by a bunch of giant wolves Uh, so you know I, i think 
if if you don't feel comfortable occupying someone else's headspace, at least try to look into what how would you would re- how would you react to that thing that's that you're being mm. faced with, and then try and kind of use your character as an anchor to see to kind of like direct where that reaction would go. Mm, man, that's so. The thought process is it's it's so interesting. Like I think one thing I'm curious of is what's what's the kind of what are maybe some methods or tricks that someone could use to help them kind of uh i guess get closer to things than because like i feel like the power fantasy kind of distances you from things like you're putting a wall of bravery between yourself and the things that are thrown at you yeah yeah things come to you and your initial impression is this is a challenge that I am supposed to beat. And it's, I feel like the actual doing of the removal of that wall and maybe being able to allow yourself to, to this, this is going to go back to a much earlier episode, but to, to do the dumb thing that a normal person would do or to perhaps do the um maybe not the dumb thing but just the the thing that isn't yeah exactly the the uncool thing or or the the thing that uh the thing that isn't the most optimal um right right yeah that that's that is i think probably the best way to say it the suboptimal or non-optimal thing yeah, I mean, you know, it, it takes time and practice and, you know, it also takes a lot of, uh, it, so, uh, and uh, going back to the, the new Ravenloft guide, a, a lot of uh, some of these topics at least come up in, in the book, which I appreciate. But my big thing when going into a campaign, any campaign really, but especially something like Curse of Strahd uh, or sure. even my own campaigns, uh, like the Delta Green stuff, is that you have to buy into the world. Uh, you can't mm. approach a setting like Curse of Strahd and go, okay, well, I see, I see all these vampires and these werewolves and these horrible creatures of the night. And I'm being told that if I go out at night in the woods, I will be killed. And I'm being confronted by this vampire overlord who can clearly snap me into if he wanted to. But you know what? I want to use, I want to, I want to, I don't want to buy in. I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to play. I think I could take, yeah, him. I think I could take him. And that's, that's not authentic, you know, uh, and mm. you know, there's sometimes where I think you can, you can go that route, but then you have to buy into the reaction and the reality of, oh wait, no, you are outclassed and you can't do, you can't handle this the mm. way that you think you can, which can be a really interesting place to go. But if you're just yeah, kind of, definitely. if you're just kind of stopping at, well, I can defeat it because it's, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it can be killed. Um, mm. and, and so I, I, I say all that to say, um, buy-in is important. So invest invest your attention and your time uh, and your energy into believing that the things that you are confronted by or that you see uh, are in a sense real and uh, Mm. think about how your character would react to them. Another character I like to bring up is Amity. Um, Amity is wonderful. She's amazing. Uh, And in a different setting. Linus does a terrific job. Yeah, he does. Uh, But in a different setting, in a more traditional setting. uh, Mm. She would be the sweetheart. She'd be the, the comic relief. She would be, you know, um, uh, definitely just the person that you turn to that is just nothing but positivity. Um, yep. 
anonymity is still very much a a rod of positivity in in our game, but she mm. is reacting to the things around her and she's confronting them. And so even though she's yeah. puts on this disposition of 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 positivity and trying to uh, keep the group together in a lot of ways, she's not immune to the setting. And no, she's not. You know, she she's done some things even in the episodes that I've listened to recently where I was <laughs> it's weird it's weird for me to verbalize this but I was almost from a GM perspective thinking kind of well played um she made some very I, I don't want to say selfish because it sounds so bad but like Amity will be looking at the situation and when you guys are posed with a, you know, an option A, option B, should we get involved with this? Should we not get involved with this? You know, what approach should we take to this, uh, to a given situation, what have you? She very consistently is a person who tries to always take the safest path or the path uh, sometimes a path of least resistance. Um, she doesn't want to rock the boat or upset things or put anyone, including herself, in danger. The instant that's on the table, she wants to do the other thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd say that's, that's pretty fair. Um, and I don't know how far along you are, but there is some motivation to that, uh, some, some backstory mm. stuff to that, that, uh, wow, that kind of contextualizes her reaction to things a bit more. I'm looking forward to that. I think I think that still may uh, have yet to come. Um, yeah, I think where you're at, I think it's coming up very soon, and you'll also get some uh, some uh, Metreon uh, stuff coming up that will ooh. also help contextualize some of why he uh, behaves the way he behaves. You're teasing me bad, man. I do. You're I am. teasing me bad. <laughs> it's it's been really really excellent though. Um, you guys have all done such a such a wonderful job. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, and I, this was another thing that I think you guys have handled so well. And I want to know more about your approach to this. And I, I feel like I almost wish Twy was here because he's kind of the other piece of the puzzle with regard to this. But Metreon as a character with the sense of self-preservation he has and the fact that he will sometimes make these decisions that can get the group into hot water or like um like or get a some people that don't like water. Yeah. Yes, yes. You suggest someone to go swim in a lake and it uh causes a big problem. And he'll do things that generate inter-party conflict. And this is something that we've addressed on our show here on multiple occasions where we always say our kind of catchphrases become the secret ingredient to having an excellent tabletop experience, whether virtual or otherwise. The secret ingredient is love and having love for the game having love for yourself, having love for your fellow players and for the characters that you all embody. 
and how that relates to handling inter-party conflict because it can be a very messy thing for people to do. And there are some people who are not very, very proficient. It is, yeah, it's definitely not something that I well. think every table can handle or, or do uh, well. I think you really, it, so there's right. a few things to it. Um, uh, we've all known each other somewhat. We didn't, you know, we weren't, uh, not all of us were super familiar with each other beforehand, but we, we interacted before, whether it was on the, the Discord or subreddit gotcha. or whatever. Um, or in, uh, I know Linus had played a game with Dragon before, so he had a bit of a, an understanding of his mm. play style. Um, but I, I tend to play characters who like to start things. <laughs> we like to stir the pot a bit. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I think within reason that can be really fun. And, you know, again, it's not for every table. Some tables just need that kind of unity. But my advice to anyone who wants to do that is to always, behind the scenes, keep the lines of communication open. Um, and mm. by that, I mean, you check in with the person, uh, you're having a, a row with or tiff with, um, to make sure mm. that, Hey, as long as I'm not overstepping any boundaries, is this cool to keep going? Um, I've had to do that mm. with Twy and Kaya, um, given some, uh, mm. in, in character stuff that, that if I hadn't kept those lines open, I, I could have been real irresponsible and stepped over a line mm. that I didn't know existed. But if you're at least saying, uh, Hey, am I? can I do this with your character or are you okay with, with where we're going with this interaction? Um, you, you continue based on their, their response. So if Twy or Kaya said, Hey, we need to, we need to wrap this up or we need to turn this around. I would have to pull back and like, there would be no mm. argument about it. You just, you, you base it on what they, what they, what they need from you. Right. But thankfully they've been very open and, uh, uh, very accommodating. And so, uh, I've just been, you know, Metron is a very reactive character and mm. he's very uh, ego driven. Um, uh, you know, he, sure. he doesn't, he's not using the, the, the more mechanical parts of his brain. Um, right. And so that, you know, uh, that definitely feeds into some of my more chaotic tendencies. Um, mm. But as a player, I still just have to be mindful uh, to, to make sure that whatever I'm doing, it's not completely derailing things. Cause I think that a lot of people mm. think that, um, if you're playing a chaotic character, or if you're playing someone edgy, something like that, that, you know, if it's what my character would do uh, is a big, yeah. is a big phrase among oh. uh, people who like to, to, to stir isn't, the pot. Isn't that the, the worst? <laughs> well, here's the thing is, I think you, I think you could definitely say that, but you always have to have an, you always should have an out, uh, or mm. at least a, a, a way to justify it that keeps the game going. It can't completely disrupt things or derail things, uh, just because you want to have a, a bit of fun. Um, Right. So there's, uh, there's a scene, I think you've gotten to it, and it's not really a spoiler, but uh, where Metran broke from the party because he was having a bad time. Mm. And he went to a church. Right. And Yep. I, oh, I love that part, too. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Um, but if I had just kind of gone with the, well, it's what my character would have done. Uh, he would have just left and stayed there. And, you know, Dragon would have had to kind of divide everything and, you know, have mm. this like individual spotlight on me which I think everyone should have a spotlight on them at some point individually. Sure. Uh, but I think, you, you know, it can't be at the expense of the story or the game. Um, so Correct. as I was kind of improving and kind of thinking about things, trying to figure out how I can get back to where I need to be for the sake of the story and for the game. Um, I remembered that uh, twice character, Earth and Deer had given him a gift. Mm. And so uh, when he's like cuddling up uh, on the pews, yeah. he realizes that, Oh, this thing is in my bag. 
that I'm using for a pillow and having that moment of, of connection and recollection. Uh, that helped me justify being able to put myself back into the fold uh, in a natural way. Did you have is to that, do that, that in the moment? Um, oh, like, yeah. had you, I had you that. <laughs> figured out that that's so until you were live and were in the church on the pew, did that occur to you? I was always in the back of my head going, how am I getting out of here? Oh, okay. And so as I was doing that, as I was going through it, I was con- like, there was a part of my brain that was constantly going, well, how do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? And then, you know, you start to kind of That's great. go through th- different things, different scenarios. And then we just, I just came upon, oh, wait, I've got this thing that is an emotional tie that I have to the rest of the party that would, you know, that could cause me to come back. So, so you, when, when you decided, you know what, I'm, I'll see you guys later and you bounce immediately or probably before you actually utter the statement, you had already thought ahead, okay, Metreon needs to storm out, but you're also thinking a couple moves ahead going, I know that what Metreon needs in this moment is to leave, but for the sake of the game and because I know what my my meta role in this whole thing is and what my responsibilities are as a player i also know that while i am making the decision to have my character go solo for just a bit i need to come up with some way or be actively looking for a way to bring it back to the status quo if you will yeah so one of the one of my one of my DM tricks, uh, and it's, it's also a player trick too, uh, is uh, always figure out a way to include the other players. And, oh, you know, whether that's... you are speaking my language. Yeah, well, whether that's, you know, <laughs> sitting there and, you know, uh, asking a more quiet player, hey, what do you think about this in character um, and engaging that kind of conversation. It can be as simple as that. Or in the example that I gave, um, doing it passively uh, where the other characters aren't around but I know that I have this tie to them that I can, I can bounce off of. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's always just about like, remember that you're playing with other people and that it's not the you show. It's an our show. So it's, it's a whole production and mm. you know, y- you can't monopolize the time uh, unless the other players are okay with it uh, or unless, you know, something mm. calls for it. But for the most part, it's, it's best practice not to take over uh, the spotlight too long. Uh, you should always, you should always be right. working to, work in a cooperative way uh as you know and well and uh with that having been said speaking of uh monopolizing time i know i've been (laughs) throwing a lot of stuff out there but this is making me think of adam what jack i (laughs) i imagine unless he he caught up on the show real fast um i listened to a few episodes don't worry okay so adam here is a high school teacher and he's been teaching a D&D class and I feel like a lot of the things that you're talking about right now Adam that's stuff that you've been like going over with your students for like a while right yeah I, I think it's hard to I, you know when you go play basketball like at recess time when you're a kid you have to learn to pass right and the kid that doesn't do that is the ball hog you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that that sort of mentality you have to bring over to this game uh, as well as like we have to share 
and we have to be a part of that together. And I actually, I was going to ask you while you were um, describing your sort of solo scene, if that is something you had, you had brought up to your GM uh, prior to that moment or had like sort of let them know, or did they simply just have the trust that you would get back into the fold? I hadn't discussed it with Dragna before. And thankfully Dragna okay. is very good on his feet. Um, and he is very open to uh, letting us kind of uh, divert and explore certain things, uh, you know, within reason. Uh, um, so he, he basically he knew that job. you, that you were gonna, like, you knew what to do. Well, you so, know, so yeah, well, here's the thing. I don't know if he knew what I was going to do, but I think that he trusted me enough to carry things back to where they needed to go. Um, I think if, if I hadn't done that, he would have certainly stepped in and uh, made the executive decision to create something that would drive me back to the party or get them to me. Um, but mm. I think that, you know, I think it just kind of goes back to that trust in, uh, you know, we're all DMs. So I think we all, we're all DMs. So we all, understand and sympathize with time management and uh sure yeah so we definitely that's that's something adam definitely uh that is a hill he will die on is the uh time management and having respect for the clock and making sure that that everything has the appropriate amount of time that you know that you're not that you're not a hog with your turn or you know uh, so something that I run into, uh, when I run, um, you know, sometimes my descriptions will get really long in the tooth and I can feel setups or questions. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's a well, big deal. Yeah. So to, to that end, I get the sense from playing with, with Andrew and from listening to you that this particular setting seems to have an emphasis on momentary uh, emotions and, and exploring those moments in, mm. you know, from a pacing perspective, again, this is, this seems different from your typical D and D fair. Yeah. If I, if yeah. I may, and, and I'm a person that likes to, to move in, like keep it moving, keep it going. But this seems to be more of a like stop and, not smell the roses, but what's, you know, the horrible. Smell the, the dead decay. body rotting from the tree. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I like, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it just, it, it, I, I think that Dragna enjoys being able to not have to talk for hours on end uh, and just letting us riff. Mm. You know, some DMs enjoy just being able to sit back and let their players, you know, um, I have love those moments. hearing that stuff. Uh, some DMs just want to, you know, roll the dice and keep things moving, you know, and neither is, neither mm -hmm. is bad. It's just about knowing uh, what you're working with. Uh, for us, yeah. you know, we are a bunch of nerds uh, who enjoy the setting and who enjoy being melodramatic. And so we lean mm -hmm. into that. Um, you know, there's been some discussion uh, that the show maybe goes on, is a, the pace is a little bit slow. Um, and to mm -hmm. that I say, uh, well, oh well. Uh, we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, but I think that, you know, uh, as a player and as someone who, you know, who knows the story, I think that uh, these kind of emotional, uh, these emotional sessions uh, are important. And, you know, again, not for everybody, but I think for our table, it's certainly uh, a bit of a necessity to a degree. But you wouldn't say then that it's like endemic to the setting? No, no, no. I more, to, more to the table and how you're group is handling no, it. I mean, you can run 
uh, something as vanilla as like uh, Lost Minds of Phil and Diver, whatever, however it's pronounced. Um, Fandelver. Fandelver, yeah, thank you. Um, but hmm? y- you can draw that out uh, to some emotional core and make it melodramatic. Mm. It's, you know, it, it, it really depends on the players. You know, there's plenty of Curse of Strahd games that are very just action oriented or very quick. I, I know mm. of some DMs who have wrapped up uh, a campaign in like, you know, uh, in like 20 sessions uh, because it was very, wow. yeah. Uh, you know, granted, they were maybe playing, you know, uh, they were going at a pace that was uh, a lot more brisk than we are. Um, sure. But, you know, it kind of goes back to that. Some DMs just want to roll things. Some players just want to hit things. It's fine, too. Um, mm. I think, personally, uh, that horror is most effective when you kind of sit with it. And yeah. especially gothic horror, where it's about the horror of, of human interaction and, and human emotion. I think us sitting in it and kind of spending the time in there and getting into those, those spaces those mental spaces is what makes it mm. feel rich and authentic. That's you something know, that I'm were... really trying to wrap my head around is how to, uh, how to help my players get into that headspace. And that's, uh, that's something that I was well, here's a question enjoying I have about then. Van Richten's too. Here's a question I have though, then um, is what do your okay. players want? Go ahead, player. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't know. That's why. <laughs> but uh, no, it's. See, I like to say. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think we 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 wanted something different because uh, I've been. Uh, I, I'm typically the GM in our group. Uh, I typically run high fantasy, power fantasy uh, type mm. stuff. We there are emotional beats, but they typically have to do with um, more themes of joy or love. Um. Mm. And well, the story was, is that, uh, me and, and Spike, who's been on the show, you know, we, we got together and basically conspired against Andrew to try to get him to run a game and to, uh, and we sent him, uh, curse of Strahd. He sent hit Spike sent him like the I Strahd book. And I sent him the, the actual player guide. Yeah. The revamped with like that tombstone cover and stuff. It, you know, like to kind of get out of the comfort zone. And I think it's been good to get this group out of the comfort zone. It's been a bit jarring, but I think we were looking for something different. And there's been some, some growing pains in that because we are mm-hmm. used to, okay, I'm a, I'm a going to be a dragonborn paladin and I'm going to, you smite know, smite all the evil. I'm going to smite my problems. You know, not that we just are a die rolling group either, but you know, it's, you know, we are used to feeling powerful yeah. and we wanted something different, but we, it, it, it's one thing to want that on the outside. And another thing to accept <laughs> that kind of fear in the moment. If that no, makes it sense. Absolutely makes sense. I th- you know, it goes back to that whole, um, that whole thing of players want to feel powerful. People want to feel powerful. I think it's a natural mm-hmm. thing that people are attracted to power and, uh, you know, that's fine to a degree. Um, but, uh, at least within, uh, kind of a game setting. Uh, I think you have to you have to kind of concede to the story a bit. Um, sure. But in saying that, the DM also has to kind of concede to the desires of the players because it's it's an investment in time for everybody, but it's especially an investment of time for the DM. So if the DM is running this thing that he really loves, but the players are just not resonating with it, he's not going to get or they are not going to mm. get the satisfaction of 
this world that they've created being realized by the players because they're just not that invested. Uh, and then for the players, if, you know, if they're not invested, they just check out and, you know, so it's this, you know, it becomes more mature. Um, so, uh, I definitely, I definitely understand that desire to uh, want to be powerful and that, that growing pain of, of shrinking yourself back a bit or dialing yourself back down a bit because it doesn't feel natural in the setting, uh, or at least in a game mm. setting in general. Did you do any restrictions when you ran the game, like in order to help facilitate that, like at character creation, were you like, uh, I don't want to see certain races or classes or um, keep the following things in mind. Like what was kind of your syllabus? Uh, I'd have to go back and check, but um, I know that Dragna wanted more humanoid characters just so, you know, in uh, kind of keeping with uh, the, the, the period when the, the book was published. Um, and also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, there's definitely some things about uh, in the book regarding like outsiders and how they're perceived. So, um, mm. you know, it's a little bit trickier to kind of involve maybe a, a lizard, fo- lizard folk or, you know, a loxodon in a setting. And also, you know, uh, and this is just my opinion, but it, that'd it, be something. Well, yeah, but it's also, and this is just my opinion, uh, but I think that when you have something that is more relatable, like a humanoid, uh, so whether it's a tiefling or a dwarf or Asimar or whatever, um, it's not that you can't relate to more fantastical races and characters, but I think you, I think just naturally you maybe do um, relate to more humanoid characters, especially when they're in peril. Um, I think I agree with that. I, I did the same kind of thing for our campaign, but I'll, I will confess to, um, I I swung real hard in the opposite direction and I I was like you guys are all human. I made human the um basically the I pre-selected human as the character race to kind of facilitate the um binding uh, portion of background that I wanted them all to have. But uh I I think I think you guys have handled the multiple races very well. And I think your point about, you know, being able to relate to humanoid characters like that, that's, that's exactly the feeling I had. Um, I, I did go pretty hard in, uh, in that direction though. Well, furthermore, Andrew made us all a family. Yeah. I saw that. Mm -hmm. He told me about that. I actually really love that idea. And it's been particularly challenging for me as the father of the family, because I feel like I have to be artificially brave. Mm. That um, could be great. And that could be fantastic. And that could, I, yeah, yeah. But I think I can tell that Andrew has been dissatisfied with my lack <laughs> of fear. And I've been trying to express that I've been quietly scared the whole time. So, uh, and you know, not to, step out of line or anything like that. But I think that that's kind of a moment where I'll stop. Uh, so that's a, mo- <laughs> that's a moment where I would have this, like a solo scene or something uh, or, or dive mm. into his backstory and find something that you can pull mm. out and relate to in a scene um, for mm. Metreon without giving too much uh, backstory stuff away. There's a reason why he went to that church and why he, he resonated with uh, uh, the clergy there so much. Um, and you know, mm. while I was bold enough to facilitate it uh, or to uh, to initiate it, uh, Dragnet took that and ran with it and really, uh, really mm. let it snowball into what it has eventually become. So, with with your character, you know, if they're quietly, you know, quietly in this in this these moments of fear, 
you know, if there's a moment where he's uh, alone uh, and, you know, you get to describe what kind of thoughts he's having, what kind of uh, emotions he's going through, or if there's like an encounter or something uh, that you find along the road or in, or in one of the villages that, uh, that, that's kind of like calls back to your backstory. Um, you know, that can also be a point to, to pull you out uh, and pull your character out and show a new dimension to them. I like that. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I, I think we've, we, we've touched that on, on that a little bit, but I appreciate your, your guidance. Yeah, just there. like, don't, be, af- don't be afraid to like, if you're, if you are in a position where like you want to have a scene where you, uh, where you show off that fear or you, you, you know, anything like that. I, I usually take the, the approach of like, if, if Dragna's saying, Hey, is there anything that you all want to do? Or if I see an opportunity, I just take it. You know, it's easier to ask forgiveness mm. and permission sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And, you know, uh, unless your DM is very strict, it, they're usually going to say, Oh, you want to do this thing? Okay. Well, we'll let you do it. Uh, unless they, you know, they're either strict or they're on some kind of timeline. Um, but for the most part, uh, you know, I think that if you just initiate it, you know, uh, and just let it kind of play out, you also get to a chance to volley with your DM and, you know, kind of explore it. Yeah. And I'm a total slave driver GM for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andrew is particularly descriptive and I, and I, you know, sometimes it, it can go a little long, but you cannot say that he doesn't try to put the full flavor mm. in, into those moments. Like he's all about moments. And I, and I, I do look forward to listen. I guess I could listen to the first few episodes already. Right. Cause I've, yeah. we've gone at least I that mean, far. You, uh, well, and the first few episodes is uh, also death house, which we just skipped. Yeah. They started at level three and we just uh, went straight from getting through the woods to right in the village. So yeah, that's, that's stuff that didn't even get touched. Yeah, you can, def- you can absolutely go through the death house episodes. It's, it, it's, a, it's kind of a self-contained, uh, um, synopsis of what the, the campaign itself is as a whole. It is freaking intense too, man. Yeah. It's just being trapped in this horrible place without escape and you're, everything's trying to kill you. So, uh, that's, oh. that's module in general, but death house is kind of a, a nice preview to that. Uh, <laughs> so of course, without giving away too much, like, although I'm in a way asking you to skip to the end, like, since you've been through this game before, like, yes, our characters are scared. Yes. Our characters have weaknesses and we're exploring those feelings and that sort of thing. But ultimately there is an escape or, or some sort of triumph perhaps, you know, given, (laughs) given that, yeah, maybe. Right. Mm. So, you know, would you expect your players to overcome these, these foibles and to make that part of their character arc, you know, or would you, is that supposed to not happen in this setting? I think, no, I I think that that totally should happen. Um, It certainly happened with, uh, with Metreon and definitely happens with the other characters. Um, and I think that's part of that growth that uh, Dragna was really enthusiastic about when he, you know, when he started this whole thing. You know, his his whole premise was, you know, or at least part of his premise was, uh, you don't enter this game as a class. You're not a fighter. You're not a rogue. You're not a barbarian. Uh, you are, uh, in Metron's case, you are a prostitute scam artist. Uh, in Earthinger's case, you are a academic ranger. You know, uh, mm-hmm. all these different things. Um, I'm probably not summarizing Ranger in terms of the not not yeah, the well class. I was just about to say I probably summarize the, it terribly until yeah. I can correct me whenever he the comes on. But park um, ranger. Yeah, well he's very much a park ranger. There's a 
there's some some stuff about that later on. Um, but uh, it involves a lot of pockets. Mm. But yeah, so that was uh, you know, that was part of the premise of uh, coming in uh, as a space lang thing that just so happened to have these abilities that related to it. Um, and the idea is that you come in as this you know this quote unquote normal uh, person and you either die or leave as someone who rose to a heroic challenge. Mm. And so, you, you know, so, something just because you were uh, talking about the uh, classes or rather um, in terms of how you viewed and presented your character, you avoided um, using the classes as that kind of descriptive or relatability baseline. Um, something subtle that you guys have done with the show that I have, I was so surprised by, and I love it every time I see it happen. And Serena's very, very good about this in particular is when I realize that you guys, until evidence is actually shown, you don't know what each other's classes are. Yeah. So when you've been like, oh, I'm going to throw sneak attack damage on there, or I'm going to give you a dive bardic inspiration, you guys will get, you guys will freak out. Like Serena will go nuts. Her reactions are so good. Yeah, they are. And like, she'll, someone will hand her bardic inspiration. She'll go, oh my God. And she'll like lose her mind. And you can't help but just smile and go, wow, that's, that's terrific. Like you just said, I'm going to give a D eight of Bardic inspiration to someone. And it's like, you gave them like the biggest Christmas present that they had ever had or something. Well, like it's that. a gratification it's, uh, of, of finally knowing something that you were, that was being kept secret, you know? Uh, it's so cool. I, I, it's a great idea. Yeah, I know. I, I, when I, when I, uh, drafted my first, uh, homebrew game, I told the players explicitly, you're not going to know each other's classes. Uh, or races. Um, and so when Dragna brought that to Twice Bin, mm. I thought that was brilliant because it's like... It's so good. It, it, it's not only an element of surprise for the audience, but it is for us as well. And it you know, adds to the authenticity of, of seeing these people and then experiencing what they are as opposed to, yeah. oh, I know you're a barbarian, so I know that you're going to rage at some point, so you're going to have a, you're gonna have a mm-hmm. temper, you know. You, know uh, you get to... It becomes a bit more organic the way that it plays out. And then as a player, it also just... Uh, gives you a bit more freedom to to subvert tropes and to play with different uh, ideas of what mm. the class should be without feeling confined or restricted by it. Oh, you're the cleric. You should blank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're a cleric, so you should be healing, and you're only holy. You know, it's you know, yep. it can be very restrictive. I like that idea. I I haven't played with that too much. The idea of the of a secret class that gets gets revealed. That's really interesting. Uh, I the. The idea that you're just with someone and you get, you know, whether it's an accurate or inaccurate read on them is, you know, whatever, but you get this idea of who this person is. And then as they do things, it just all of a sudden you catch wind of this or that. And it's, you know, you have that, that fun, organic reveal and, Doing that is something that never occurred to me. And, you know, now that I've air quotes seen, I mean, I'm listening to the podcast, not watching, but um, it's, it seems like such a no brainer kind of excellent idea. Yeah. And, you know, it, 
again, doesn't work for all tables. Some tables like that kind of communal, sure. uh, communal cr- character creation. Totally fine form. I just prefer, I'm, I like chaos. Uh, so I'm, mm. I personally <laughs> enjoy the idea of not knowing what other people are going to do and having to figure out in game what it is that they're doing or what they are. Um, that for well, me is, is a bunch and, of fun. And I think that, you know, D&D as a system specifically and um, the, you know, the community also is kind of leaned in this direction. You know, optimization is such a big thing within the community itself. And, you know, how you approach the game part of role-playing game. And, you know, am I trying to play the game well? And and then, you know, what does that even mean? But the, you know, when it comes to optimization, it's not just character optimization. It's also, there's also party optimization. Yeah. You know, do we have a tank? Do we have healer? Do we have DPS? You know, if you're getting all MMO about it. And if you don't know classes from the get-go, that becomes a non-issue. You can just start, you know, it's so easy to pick a class and then go, okay, am I going to make a good, okay, or bad version of this class? It becomes the point of reference for everything. But if you go, no one's going to know, and the combos are just going to be whatever it is they are. Yeah, it it gives you kind of a freedom. You know, it's not like, oh, well, I know you're playing this, this, and that, so I need to play the thing that's missing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's more well, this is what I want to play. And if the DM likes it and thinks it's going to fit, uh, they will see to it and, you know, make it happen. Uh, and it kind of mm. relieves you of that pressure to feel like you need to optimize right out of the gate. Granted, you know, the way that games like this are set up, there is a certain reward and punishment to optimizing and not on optimizing. Mm, that's true. But it is also how you kind of def- define reward and punishment. You know, um, yeah. I, yeah, I like having a stat that is kind of a dump stat and doesn't uh, and and maybe you know hinders me at some points or or informs some different mm-hmm. character choices so i try not to put too much emphasis on optimization but i do still want to be able to feel effective because combat is still is, is still a thing in the game uh so i don't yeah. want to feel like completely useless uh in that situation so you know it's it's, it's definitely a balancing act mm. it seems to me like this is more appropriate in in this setting anyway where you know, you might desire greater optimization in something like Storm King's Thunder, which is going to be more straightforward and about overcoming challenges more directly as opposed to to feeling that same level of vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I look forward to to checking it out. I'm, I'm really fascinated by it. By the way, how do you guys play? Is it a use a VTT yeah, so, or uh, Foundry? Uh, we play with Foundry VTT. Uh, they have been gracious okay. enough to provide us with some services, and uh, the platform is amazing. Uh, highly recommend it, uh, especially for DMs. We're wanting something that's really, it's really customizable. But we play via Foundry, and then we just we do voice on Discord. Mm. You, the so, the production value you guys have done as far as the podcast itself uh, goes has been excellent too. Like just real it's been such a really quality show yeah that's all kaya so uh, when she's here thank her <laughs> props to her man kaya you you do excellent work 
So outside of uh, Twice Bitten, you know, what kind of what kind of nerd stuff are you into? You know, like, are you what what kind of games are you playing? Shows you watching? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I'm I started out early in life, kind of a geek, and I never like retired my nerdy uh, interests, but they def- definitely uh, started to come back as I got older, uh, which has been a very interesting direct mm. trajectory because I I didn't start playing D and D. Uh, until I was like to reveal my age, but uh, it's probably about six or seven years ago. Um, and I had started with two mm. E because that's what my friends were playing at the time. Wow you you started on you started on two E, but you started six years ago. Yeah. Uh, well, my wow uh, my my DM was uh, very into second edition AD and D uh, and like that kind of like OR, OSR kind of uh, flavor. I was going to say very, very old school. Yeah. Um, and that was fun. Um, definitely. Uh, I don't miss Thacko at all. Not, not one bit. Um, <laughs> but when I, uh, when that game dissolved, uh, I'd moved and we tried keeping the game up for a little bit, but it just kind of fell apart due to different reasons. Um, so when mm. I was, uh, when I'd relocated, um, I was just like, I, I really like this game. I, I, I want to keep playing and I want to keep, you know, making characters and telling stories. Um, so I just ended up throwing up uh, an ad on Roll20. And mm. thankfully, uh, I have a decent barometer of what I want and what I think will work for me uh, with players. Uh, so I, I, gave mm. like a, I gave everyone a questionnaire and the people who, whose responses resonated most with me, uh, I've been with for four years. So um, props to them. Uh, they've been amazing and uh, looking forward to more uh, more gaming with them. Uh, but otherwise... Is that, uh, what What was it, uh, Black Project? Yeah, so that's Black Project Gaming. Uh, mm. We also have a podcast. Um, we've got a few different games going on uh, concurrently, um, but the ones that we broadcast are Delta Green. Uh, we just finished our mm. first campaign with that, and we're continuing our second. Um, and then I have my Curse of Strahd game, which is Barovia, California, yeah. uh, which is very different Curse of Strahd game to most. That's because it takes place in Southern California in the year 1983. That's, so that's a good year. It's a very clever idea. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, that's been super fun. It's been a definite nice change of pace from the other games that we run because Delta Green is obviously very you know, soul-crushing and the homebrew that, the homebrew <laughs> that we play, uh, I, you know, as a DM, it can kind of get overwhelming to constantly have to psychologically mm. torment your players. Um, and so I've reached my capstone with that. So we're concluding that. And so I can focus uh, on Barovia. But Barovia, I'm treating more, nice. uh, I'm actually making it a little bit more lighthearted in a way, um, kind of pulling more inspiration from things like the Lost Boys and the Monster Squad and, you know. Uh, well, camp. Yeah. So it's, 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 I mean, it's got a level of camp to it that other games don't. And mm-hmm. so it's been, uh, it's been really fun playing that out. That's I like true. that. That's, that's really fascinating. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I did a, a, a did probably too much uh, research into it because I, I didn't want it just to be like, uh, you know, 80s neon, you know, mall, that kind of thing. Right. I, I didn't want it to just be like a bunch of tropes. Uh, Go full Stranger Things. Exactly. And I, I love Stranger Things, yeah. but. Love Stranger Things. But I wanted it to feel a little bit more uh, authentic. Uh, and so, you know, there's no mall mm. um, because it's a small town. You wouldn't have a mall like that. Um, yeah. You know, uh, kind of. Uh, all the, as even little things like uh, from the current episode on out, most if not all of the titles of the episodes will be songs that were released in 1983. 
Um, I, oh, oh, cool. Great. Huh? So I made the year 1983 because that's the year that Ravenloft was first published. So oh. head over heels or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the first episode, uh, not the first episode, but the first episode that, with that naming system uh, is Hell is for Children, which is a Pat Benatar song. Uh, and it's very appropriate mm. because all the characters are high schoolers. Uh, I really like Pat Benatar. I love, Pat Benatar. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> there you go. She's really fantastic. Oh man, that's that's so cool, Jack. I I feel like we I feel like we could talk for like another another several hours. Um, but we're unfortunately running up on time. I I would be definitely open to uh, continuing the discussion, though. Yeah, absolutely. If, uh, if our schedules are uh, looking good and everything, we'd we'd love to have you back. Probably probably real yeah, soon for sure. Cool. Um, before we uh, we do our little wrap up spiel, is there anything you uh, feel the desire to uh, plug shamelessly or otherwise? Um, well, everyone should be watching Twice Bitten. Darn right. It streams on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Twice Bitten. No, uh, our, I should, I should know, know my own, <laughs> know my own things. <laughs> um, it's, uh, no, I feel you, twice, man. It's, twi- it's twitch.tv slash our Curse of Strahd is the Twitch channel that we stream on every Saturday. There we go. Uh, I, I'm bad with time zones, but it's uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time. So uh, throw it into Google, see what time that is in your time zone. That's refreshingly honest. Yeah, I, I went to art school. I don't know anything Who about math. Um, oh, preach. Uh, preach. But the, the right. VOD is on YouTube at uh, youtube.com uh, slash, I think I'm going to get this right. Hold on. Our Curse of Strahd, maybe? Um, I, that's, that was going to be my guess. I think too. so. Yeah. Um, I think that's what but it But we are also on Twitter at twicebittencos. And uh, as mentioned before, there's also a podcast uh, in that lands. Uh, I believe that's Thursdays, uh, confirmed with Kaya, but it is wherever podcasts are available. So Spotify, Anchor, maybe iTunes, I think. Um, I, I'm so informed for this, right? Uh, God, no, I should be, no, I should dude, be a salesman. You're doing great. Um, you, sound, you sound just like us. <laughs> completely prepared <laughs> and everything. Um, totally yeah. prepared professional it's completely professional i i haven't sworn once this entire episode yeah, i you know and after listening to matriana i was like i feel like i am asking too much just of have the, the, the finger on the little <laughs> mute button it's fine <laughs> mm. we appreciate your temperance try oh i'm gonna it's been lovely i'm gonna say some really dirty words after we get off this um just there you go just <laughs> we'll stop the recording you just you just get it out of your yeah. system. Um, but the other thing I want to plug is Black Project Gaming. Uh, they're a really good, right on. good group of gamers. Uh, like I said, we're playing Delta Green uh, right now as well as Barovia, California. Um, you can visit us at youtube.com slash Black Project Gaming. And we're also on, uh, we're also podcasted. So Spotify, Anchor. Uh, you can also go to blackprojectgaming.com. Uh, and we have all of our episodes there uh, of Delta Green and Barovia, California. Um, I just released the latest episode of Barovia, California two days ago uh, after a little right bit of hiatus. On. So I'm looking forward to getting that back on track. Um, and you could also follow us there on Twitter at BLK Project Games Gaming. BLK Project Games. Somewhere. I'm so bad at this. 
um, <laughs> uh, as well as Facebook, <laughs> okay, uh, man. Black Project Gaming. Just look up Black Project Gaming. We're the only ones called Black Project Gaming. You, you got Google on your phone. It's fine. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and if it is someone else, they're probably cool too. Just find as many they're, examples they're, they're, of they them They may be cool, but they're not just, cool, as cool as us. So well, find uh, us, uh, our is. little icons, a Fair question enough. mark. It'll all come together when you get there. Follow us. Uh, you'll love it. Uh, if you like soul-crushing horror or campy 1980s references <laughs> um, and blood. Lots of blood. Lots of blood. Lots and lots of blood. Adam, anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap this puppy up? No, I just want to say thank you for, for being a great guest and uh, in enduring our questions and uh, providing some inspirational insight. Yeah, I hope that, uh, I mean, your game sounds really fun. I love the premise of having a family being stuck in the hellscape that is Barovia. Uh, adds a lot of built-in stakes that I think uh, I would steal for a game. I would love to see that. I mean, I was talking a bit with Dragna, and he he was telling me he's like, you know, I think think this is. I've never heard of anyone doing that before, and I I mean, I was kind of stunned to hear that. But um, to me, it seemed it seemed like a no-brainer. Like I so much wanted to make sure that the PCs had a baked-in reason to give a darn about yeah. one another. Um, because it, I think, also sort of part of the power fantasy thing, especially in Western culture, we really like the idea of the exceptional individual yeah. who, you know, can take on all comers and everything. And, and it's easy for that kind of idea to bleed over into our RPG characters because we want to make this this big badass that can you know handle anything i know i am extremely guilty of that say. yeah i am i am the poster Ty- typical boy for andrew that. characters are like seven feet tall and weigh like 350 pounds Buff, of solid muscle listing damn right Fabio hair blowing in the wind <laughs> that's Golden right flaxen flaxen yeah. Very yeah, all flaxen. of Andrew's characters could be played by Vin Diesel. I'm not against that. <laughs> there you go. I I would I would. It's endearing. I would lean into uh, Mr. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I would too if I had my druthers. But uh, I mean, look at the guy. He's very easy to lean into. Yeah, you know, I, just a, a, a random anecdote. But uh, I came out uh, of the closet watching WWE with my family because I had a crush on the Rock. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's man, talk about an experience. How I I'm almost scared to ask how it went. Well, they also had a crush on the rock, so it it all made sense. You know, <laughs> you just doesn't? say it and everyone else around you is like, yeah, hmm, yeah. Yeah, no, it was all we all agreed. <laughs> he was beautiful, man. <laughs> he really is. He really is. Oh man. Well, I'm sure we could go on about the rock all night, but uh we got to hang up the phone. So thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us. Jack, thanks again, man. It has been such a pleasure. We want to say thank you to our patrons, as always. Our ever-loyal Spike, Logan, Kate, and Falangor. We heart you guys so much. And uh, in the spirit of this show, we would be happy to uh, put you guys through any degree of torment um (laughs) and uh having hit that as far as if anyone would like to connect with us i don't know why you would but if you are that much of a glutton for punishment 
you can head on over to inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com. And uh, if you want to go to our Facebook, Twitter, or Patreon, there are three little bubbles at the top of the website. If you're on a PC or Mac, they'll be in the upper right-hand corner of uh, the browser. And if you're on mobile, they'll just be right at the top of the page. So just hit those bubbles for Facebook, Twitter, and Patreon, and they'll take you right where you need to go. And um, man, this was a lot of fun. I uh, It was a blast meeting you, Jack. Uh, listen, you guys. Having been, uh, you're absolutely welcome. It's been crazy, like, listening to the show and, like, wanting to say stuff to you guys. Or like Metreon will do something. I'll be like, what are you thinking, man? <laughs> Good. I want people having, to be upset with the choices I make. That, that, that's the life oh, that fuels man. me. It's, it, you would be getting so much fuel. So I'm like, oh, this guy. But then I'm at the same time going, he knows what he's doing. So where's he going to take it? And it's been very cool to, to be able to voice some things and have your voice come back. It's been so much fun. Thanks. I've had a blast. Uh, let me know when you want me back and I'll, I'll see what I can do. It was our pleasure, man. And uh, yeah. So everybody, be vulnerable. Open yourself up. Take yourself to that place where it's a little bit scary to go. But when you go there, you might just find freedom. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye. Bye. Bye.